As we come to this passage in Luke chapter 9, we've already seen in the last couple of weeks, Jesus has been doing some pretty extraordinary things. So first of all, he heals this man who is completely demon-possessed, I mean to the extreme. And then he heals a woman who is who has been suffering with an illness or a disease for a good portion of her life. None of the doctors were able to help her, and, and uh, she spent a lot of money trying to get uh, help and healing. But Jesus heals her. And then we see that Jesus raises a little girl from the dead. Those are three extraordinary miracles. And following those three extraordinary miracles, in the Gospel of Luke, it moves to Jesus calling his 12 disciples and sending them out to do the same thing. So they go out, they do the same thing, and then they come back. After that, Jesus feeds the 5,000 plus with food. And we saw that in that, he is teaching his disciples and the people that there is a spiritual life of which he, the bread of life, is the sustenance. And then we come to verse 18, and the only transition from the feeding of the 5,000 to this next section here is this. It says in verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying. So that's the transition, and it shows that Luke is not so much concerned with the days and the times as much as he is with the things that are happening. In other words, Jesus is healing, Jesus is casting out the demons, and he is sending his disciples out. And really, this is one of the themes. It is devotion to God or service to God. And so he sends his disciples out to serve the people just as he has been serving the people. And so here we find in verse 18 that as it happened, Jesus himself is alone praying. Jesus himself is expressing this devotion in his prayer to the Father before God. And his disciples come and join him. And that is really significant there in what follows after this. Because here is Jesus. He is devoted to God. He is alone praying. But his disciples come to him. And Jesus takes that transition. And he moves into this section of cost of following him. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What will it cost me to come to Jesus and follow him and give my life to him? And so this is what we want to consider this morning. And I've already started this introduction here. And the introduction really deals with who Jesus is. So if the disciples are going to come to Jesus, who are they coming to? And that's what this section is about. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. And it says in 18 through 20, it says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and asked. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. So we see he's having this devotion time. The disciples come to him. And then in verse 19, when Jesus asks them, who do the people say that I am? There is this this uh, superstition that is reflected on the parts of the disciples. They answered and said, John the Baptist. Now, by this time, John the Baptist had been dead. He had been beheaded. Elijah, some say Elijah, some, and some others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. Now, it's really interesting. In each of these responses that they give to Jesus, they are expecting someone to come back from the dead. Now, that reflects kind of a pagan superstition. As a matter of fact, there are people in our world today who still believe in the 
reincarnation and people coming back in some form in order to either pay for their past sins in a previous life or to have another opportunity to do better so that they can be reincarnated in a better fashion. Now, that's kind of a uh, superstition that people hold in our world today, reincarnation. It is not an uncommon thing. It wasn't uncommon back then, and it's not uncommon today. But the Bible is clear that a person is born once, they die once, and then comes the end. All right? So anyway, there is this expectation that the disciples at least have of someone coming back to dead, from the dead and mainly uh, a, an, a prophet, someone that was uh, uh, seen or viewed as being a prophet. But not only is it superstition, but there is something in Scripture that kind of maybe feeds them to have this perspective, this expectation of a great prophet rising from the dead and coming back to speak to the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Verses 15 and 18, Moses says that the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like me, and you shall listen to him. As a matter of fact, I was surprised to find that that passage in Deuteronomy speaking about the prophet like Moses is quoted twice in the New Testament in the book of Acts. That was a surprise to me. But it was part of the expectation or the prophecy that God had given. And then in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, we see that Elijah is going to come back and precede the coming of the Lord. And so there's this idea, maybe that's not wholly superstitious, that rests upon some prophetic um, uh, prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. And so when they ask him, who do the people say that I am? When he asks them that question, they respond with this idea of a prophet coming back to speak to the people. And some of, the, some of them were saying that Jesus was one of these prophets. Because no one could deny the things that he was saying and the things that he was doing. So, he says to them, to his disciples now directly, who do you say that I am? Now, this is a little bit more pointed because... His disciples have been following him. They have been hearing the words that he has been declaring. They have been seeing the miracles that he has been doing. And they have a better opportunity and chance to gauge, if you will, from their own uh, perspective or their own reason, who Jesus is. And Peter answers and says, the Christ of God. Now, we find in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus responds to Peter's declaration and he says, you didn't get this from yourself, but God has revealed it to you. And so even this declaration or this ability to see Jesus for who who he was has come from God. And so he makes this, Peter does, this uh, stunning declaration. Jesus is not a prophet come back from the dead. He is the Messiah of God. He is God's Messiah, God's Christ. Now it's a little unusual for us to say the Christ of God because we typically consider Christ as being like Jesus' last name, right? Jesus Christ. Jesus is his first name and Christ is his last name. Uh, I'm saying that as a joke, but that's kind of how we have it in our minds that, you know, his first name is Jesus, his last name is Christ. So to see this, the Christ of God is a little bit unusual, but the word Christ means Messiah or anointed one. And so when Jesus is told by Peter, you are the Christ of God. He is saying, you are the Messiah of God. You are the anointed one of God. Now, there were certain expectations in the Old Testament as to what this meant, that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one in particular, would come. 
Uh, Colin read from Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 11, and there is a, a verse in there right at the beginning where Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah. Do you remember when he went into the synagogue and they asked him to read and he took the scroll and he opened it? Well, he turned to Isaiah 61 and he read this passage about the anointed one and what he was going to do when he came. And then he said, today this passage has been fulfilled, meaning referring to himself. So he said, I have come and he he has come to, I'm just going to paraphrase here, Jesus has come to deliver the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, the imprisoned, the enslaved, the sad, the down and out, the discouraged, and depressed. Now, if we consider that list, we might be able to find ourselves in there. We might find ourselves as poor. We might find ourselves as brokenhearted over whatever is happening in our lives. We might find ourselves enslaved or imprisoned or, or uh, captive to whatever is happening. We might find ourselves sad or down and out, discouraged and depressed. These are things that we might find and see in ourselves. Jesus has come to deliver us. And during the course of this section in Isaiah chapter 61, let me highlight two verses. First of all, he says, It says there in that passage, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And this is a great passage, speaking of the deliverance that Jesus Christ gives to us. So we are sad and we mourn primarily because of our sin and we go through life without any hope. But Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, he has come to give us the garment of praise. And it's for the, instead of the spirit of heaviness, he has come to make us a tree of righteousness. And so that's what he has done in order to bring glory, glory to him. What a great promise and uh, something that we can enjoy and partake in. Another passage in that chapter, verse 6 says, but you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall boast. And here we see that the, the, the ministry of the Messiah expands just beyond, expands beyond just believers to the world, the Gentiles. And all of the world will be impacted by his ministry. And so these are common themes that we see. As a matter of fact, the Jews believed more in this national kind of deliverance than they did in a personal deliverance. So they saw the Messiah and they were expecting the anointed one to come and to deliver them from Roman oppression. For the Romans controlled Israel at that time. And the Jews believed that God was their king and they should not have anybody else over them. And so their expectation for the Messiah was that he would come and he would deliver them because he was the anointed one, the king, and he would bring deliverance to national Israel. So that's what we see in verse 20. And then in verse 21, when we move to the end of that little paragraph there, after this declaration of Peter, Jesus says this, he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this, that he was the Messiah, to no one. Now that's a little bit of a puzzle as to why he would do that. And I think maybe tonight in, in our prayer service we might uh, pursue that question a little bit more. Why is he telling them not to spread the news that he is the Messiah? So we'll turn to that a little bit 
tonight. But here's the point that Jesus is declared to be the Messiah before his disciples. And we're talking about discipleship here. And what Jesus then does is he turns to the idea of discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus the Christ. And that is, that is applicable to us. It is impactful for us because we're not just following Jesus, a good teacher or some great philosopher who declares all of these truths that are good to follow, just like we might follow the sayings of Gandhi or some other great leader or philosopher in this world. Jesus is not like that. He is not just a, a good person or a great king or a good philosopher. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. And what does it mean to follow the Christ? And this is where Jesus turns next. And we find that as we consider what Jesus is calling his disciples to, that there is a high cost involved. And there are really three exhortations that is found in this passage. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. So if you look at verse 23, it says, he says to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him, here's the first one, deny himself, and then the second one, take up his cross daily, and the third one, follow me. Those are the three things that are required from Jesus in following him. And so we consider these, and we look at the first one. First of all, what does it mean to deny ourselves? If we're going to follow Jesus, there is a denial of ourself that must take place. This is the view that we have in our minds and in our hearts about who we are and what we're supposed to do and who Jesus is and what we're supposed to do with respect to him. And when it comes down to it, there is a denial of ourself that is necessary if we are going to follow after Jesus as one of his disciples. After all, he's not just a great teacher. He is the Messiah, the anointed of God. And this is what it means to follow him. God And his things must be first in our lives. We have a lot of ambitions, a lot of desires, a lot of uh, things that we want to see take place in our lives. But all of these we must put aside in order to follow after him. His things must come first over our things. Another thing that denying ourselves means is that we do not rely upon ourselves. Uh, You know, we we each have strengths and abilities and we have... have, uh, Things that maybe that we're good, to, good, good with and we can do well and, and, and those are all great. But in serving Christ, we must do the things that he has called us to without relying upon our own strength and our own abilities. We take our abilities and our strengths and we lay them at his feet just as we do our weaknesses and our insufficiencies. We lay them at his feet and we acknowledge that he is the one who is going to do the work in and through me. I am going to present myself to him and he will show me where to go and he will show me what to do and he will give me whatever I need to do those things and to accomplish his work. Just like when he sent the, the disciples out. He, it says, he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. He gave these things to them so that they could do the work that he called them to. And so that's what it means for uh, about denying ourselves, and, and this is really a comforting thing because, you know, really, if it just depended on me, I don't know, not sure how much would actually ever get done that is glorifying for his kingdom. But because it comes from him, well, now the, the door is wide open and the possibilities are limitless 
We can walk in his ways because of the strength and the power and the encouragement that he gives us. And so denying ourselves means that we do not rely upon ourselves. We must not overindulge in earthly things. Now, I'm a firm believer that God has given us the things of this world for our benefit and our blessing. He has done that. But even though they are a blessing and a benefit that have come from him, they are still temporal and part of this world. And this world is passing away. And so while we engage and enjoy the blessings that come from this world, and, and each one is meant to turn our attention towards God, there is a, well, I don't need this. I can put this aside. I will not overindulge myself in this blessing. I will seek, seek myself, seek Him in my life. So avoid an overindulgence in earthly things. Put aside your thoughts and your habits or anything that is displeasing to him. Denying yourself means you deny yourself of the things that you want. So you put them aside in order to focus upon him. Your thoughts and your habits, maybe your routines that are not so pleasing to God, or even the ones that are pleasing, we're to put our things aside in order to do his things. Put aside the pleasures and the comforts of this life. Now, recently I read this, uh, book by pro- this uh, book by Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. Now, Brother Lawrence, he, uh, he lived in the 17th century. He died in 1691 near Paris, France. And he never really wrote a book. He, it's the, the Practicing the Presence of God is really a collection of letters and writings that he had, like primarily correspondence that he had with other people. So it was kind of collected and, and put into this little book. He was a monk in a monastery, and he had determined at a young age that he was going to live for God. So this is what happens. He decides he's going to live for God. He's going to give his life over to God, and he goes to the monastery to join the monastery, and they give him cooking duty. So he's there in the kitchen, and you'll see a a picture a little bit later. He's there in the kitchen, and he's cooking for the monks of the monastery. And he is having trouble with this. Serving God? I came here to serve God, not to cook in the kitchen. And practicing the presence of God is a reflection of his struggle of coming to grips with this mundane task that he had been assigned and how that relates to serving God. And so it's really made an impact uh, on me in recent days. And I've got a couple of quotes from him. Here it says, this is Brother Lawrence, and, and it reflects his denial of self. So in his mind, he had higher ambitions, even in serving God, which is a good thing. He had higher ambitions and greater aspirations than cooking in the kitchen for the other monks. So he says, I have no pain nor any doubt as to my state, because I have no will but that of God. There it is, the denial of his, his own self. I have no will but that of God, which I endeavor to carry out in all things. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great saying? He says, I'm, I, I purpose in my heart, I'm not going to do anything except what God wants. That, that's just fantastic. Here's another quote. It says, Let us think often that our only business in this life is to please God, that all besides is perhaps but folly and vanity. So again, he's just denial of himself, himself and his giving of himself to serve the Lord no matter what it means. And that for him meant serving in the kitchen. And by the way, he never got out of the kitchen. He served for, I don't know, 20-something years in the kitchen and he died doing that. That was his service to God. There's a passage, Philippians chapter 3, 
verses 7 through 11, if you want to turn there, or you can just listen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. This is Paul, and he's coming to grips with the same sort of thing, putting aside his life for the call of following Jesus. This is what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, he says, Paul, I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So this is a fantastic passage where Paul is expressing that the things of this world and the things that he holds dear, he counts them as lost because there is something of greater value, and that is Christ. Christ is of greater value than anything else. And so he aspires to know Jesus and all of these things that means to follow Jesus. And so he is uh, calling us, Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves. The second thing he calls us to is to take up our cross. So if we read in this passage here, we see that Jesus is calling his disciples to take up his cross, to take up the cross daily. So in verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now, in the Roman world, this was a pretty powerful picture because if you were condemned to die, they would give you the cross or a part of the cross that you were going to be crucified on. So you would take this cross, and this is what Jesus did as he's being led away to Golgotha to be crucified. Uh, they would, the prisoners or these people condemned to die, they would take their cross and they would carry it through the streets. And everybody that would look at them would know that they had been condemned to death and that they were going to be killed before long. And it was meant to shame them and also to instill fear in everybody else. Look, if you are going to break the law, this, is, this could be you. And so it meant to instill fear in the people. And so Jesus is saying here, take your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. And what Jesus is calling us to is to choose him over everything else. To make him a priority over everything else. And what that might mean for us, or what it does mean for us, is that we carry our cross to our death. It is the death of ourselves, the, the crucifixion of our flesh and of our lives we give over to him. We must choose the good portion, as Ben preached when he was talking about Mary and Martha. We must choose the good portion over the things of this earth. He is, he is worthy to be chosen. And choosing him means that we carry our cross to the death of ourselves when we follow him. We take him up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, now this is pretty remarkable because one of the greatest things, I think, in this world is the, the family. The family is, is just a brilliant um, creation of God. And I think that the family is extremely important. The New Testament and the Old Testament, the whole Bible just kind of elevates the family and it shows how a man and a woman come together and they are fruitful and multiply and they have their children and they grow and it just kind of multiplies and multiplies. This is a great thing. And yet, the high calling of Jesus just really, at some points, even involves the good thing of our families. So he says in 1 Corinthians, this is Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 to 35, 
I want you, Paul is saying this, I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be both holy, holy both in body and spirit. But she, Christina, this is for you here. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I hope she's smiling back there. <laughs> I skipped over the part where he must please his wife fast. I went over that part fast. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Now, as of high value as the family is, serving with a family involves distraction and care. We must care about those that are around us. And, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But, but there is also this point in which those who are not married and don't have that care are freer to serve the Lord. And in both cases, we are talking about um, devoting our lives to following Jesus first. He is first. He must be first. He is the Messiah. Nothing else can come between us and Him. Nothing. And Jesus puts it this way in Luke chapter 14. This is, going to be, this is down the road here from where we're at in chapter 9. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this remarkable and startling thing. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's remarkable how this passage in Luke chapter 14 parallels what is going on here in our passage in many ways and ideas. I had somebody come up to me and said, they brought up this passage. I hadn't preached on it or anything. They had just come across it in their devotions. They said, Pastor, it says I have to hate my wife and children. I I don't think I can do that. Because they had come to the realization of the extent of the cost of following Jesus. It is a high calling, and it is a costly calling. It requires our life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, Paul says this, I protest by your rejoicing which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's, here's the part. I die daily. This is what he says in Luke. Take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. And Paul is reflecting this. I die daily. And that's what following Jesus is all about. It's going to require our lives on a day-by-day basis. And so uh, we look at the disciples and they have done this. And he says, and then follow me. Follow Jesus. This, This is the third of the three. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So here's the third one. And if we consider the the disciples for a moment, we don't know too much about a number of the disciples. But we know a couple of things. First of all, Matthew, he was a tax collector. You remember that? Matthew was a tax collector, but following Jesus meant he had to leave that lucrative job behind in order to follow Jesus. We know Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were, what were they? They were fishermen. And so following Jesus meant that Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had to leave those jobs. Now that doesn't mean they never fished again. As a matter of fact, we do see a couple of occasions where they went back to fishing. But 
for the most part, they're following Jesus around for three and a half years. And then after that, they're just living for Jesus. They never go back to fishing again. They're fishing for men after that. But another consideration is Peter. Peter was married also. Not only did he leave his job to follow Jesus, but he left his wife to follow Jesus as well. And again, that doesn't mean he never saw his wife again. As a matter of fact, his, um, uh, in one case, Jesus is healing his mother-in-law and so on. So he goes back home. But for the most part, he is, he is following Jesus. He is not at home with his wife. And I don't know if he had any children or not, but he's not at home with them. This is what following Jesus meant. And in one of the passages where Jesus says, you know, you, you have to deny all of these other things to follow me, Peter says, we have left everything to follow you. And he says, well, indeed, you're going, your reward is going to be great because you have done that. And this is the call that he gives to us. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. There is nothing that we should hold on to to keep us from following him. Now, in the, the verses to follow, Jesus gives a commentary of what all of this means. So I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. Um, he has said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to, to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... Of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and in the, with the holy angels. But I, truly, I tell you truly, and this is for what's coming next, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. So, in wrapping this up, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Now, for some of us, and this is, this is where I fall in. For some of us, this means leaving our careers and the things that we were doing before in order to follow Jesus and to live for Jesus. So I was, uh, I was always the number kind of guy. I love numbers. And um, numbers just kind of always fell into place. And I was a uh, computer programmer. And I was making a lot of money as a computer programmer until Jesus called me to go back to school and to prepare to become a pastor. Uh, just to give you an example, I haven't put these things completely away, but uh, recently I read a book called Infinite Powers. Infinite Powers. Now, you might read that title and think, well, this is a book about making the most of your potential, right? Infinite Powers. Or you might think um, that it's a superhero book. Infinite Powers. But really, it is a book by Stephen Strogatz. The full title is this, Infinite Powers. How Calculus Reveals the Secrets of the Universe. <laughs> Who would have guessed, right? But I chose this book and I read it all the way through. And it's about how calculus, the, the, the expressions of calculus in our world today and all the ways that calculus is absolutely necessary for all the things that we enjoy. So, yeah, I'm just geeky in that way, I guess. And chose a book like that to read. It's really pretty clever. You have to know something about calculus, but it's a pretty clever title, Infinite Powers, if you know something about calculus. But I left all that to go back to school to be here, where I'm surrounded by public speaking and conversations and, and writing and letters and words. Letters and words are all over. They're all around me. And I'm a numbers guy. I'm a fish out of water. This just doesn't jive with you know, who I am naturally. And maybe that's a good thing because my discomfort causes me 
to rely upon the more on the Lord more. You see, I just if you just listen carefully, you'll see how many times I just kind of mix my words and letters and stuff. It just happens. I'm just not good at that, like with the numbers. So if there's anything that good, anything good that ever comes of this, it's because God has done it. Because this is not my strength. This is not my pond to swim in. So for me, I left my comfort zone, if you will, to give my life to serve Christ. And maybe some of you, God is calling to give your life to serve Jesus, to leave what you are and to instead change in order to serve him full time. For most people, however, it'll be like Brother Lawrence. It'll be this this call to serve the Lord right where you are at. Now, this next quote is probably the, the quote that has made the most impact on me and on my current situation, and I leave it in my inbox. Now, just to tell you a little bit about me, I use my phone and I use my email. I have four email addresses and each one has a certain purpose, and I use them as kind of my to-do list. So this is a picture of my phone, just to give you an example And you'll notice that at the text messaging on the bottom right, there's a little red bubble. You see that? It has the number one in it. That means someone sent me a text message that I have not read. And that red bubble drives me bonkers. I just cannot leave it. I have to do something with it. When I pick up my phone, like after church today, and I'll pick up my phone and I'll look at it, and there might be some red bubbles there. It's not going to be long before I have to get rid of the red bubble at least, you know? I just can't stand to see that red bubble. Now, in contrast, I don't know if you can see this, on the right is the phone of someone we know and love dearly, but there's like a one red bubble over one thing and a 13 over another and another one, and 119 over the phone, and 127 over the text messages, and over the email, 2,321. Oh my goodness, if this was my phone, you'd have to come visit me in the hospital. I just cannot handle that. Anyway, this is just kind of managing, you know, how we manage our things, and and we have following Jesus, denying ourselves and taking up the cross and following him means not that we have to like make a drastic transformational kind of shift in our life, but it means just dealing with the things of our life with a perspective of Christ all the time. So this is Brother Lawrence, and this is a little depiction of, of him. Remember, this is about 1691 when he dies. And it says in this quote, O oh God... Since thou art with me, and it is thy will that I must now apply myself to these outward duties. He's talking about his kitchen, kitchen duties. Since I have to apply myself to these outward duties, I beseech thee, assist me with thy grace, that I might, may continue in thy presence. And to this end, O Lord, be with me in this my work. Accept the labor of my hands and dwell within my heart with all thy fullness. What a great quote. And I, like I said, I leave it in my email so that I read it regularly. And, uh, and there it is. And so what this means is that we do the tasks at hand 
with Jesus full in our hearts. It is not about my desires and my aspirations and my goals. It is about His will in my life. So you might be here and you might be a teacher. You might be a bus mechanic. You might be a computer engineer. You might be a mother or a father. You might be a nurse. Wherever it is that you are at, wherever it is that God has put you in that place, you show the love of Christ and you seek the presence of Christ in everything. So don't get angry at your co-workers. Don't be uh, mad at them because you're doing their job. Help them to do a better job. Pray constantly right where you're at. Do your job as if Jesus were your boss. Don't steal or take advantage at work or at home. Watch how you talk. The words that come out of your mouth are important. Watch how you talk. Constantly be aware of what God might want you to do. Put aside your needs and desires in order to help someone else or making someone else happy. Seek to make someone else happy in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. And in love, take extra time and use extra resources to make someone else happy. Love costs us. It will... It will take some of our time, it will take some of our resources, but he has called us to love other people. We do not follow a good Bible teacher. We do not follow a wise philosopher. We follow the Messiah, the Anointed One. We follow the Christ, the Creator of the world. That's who we follow. And he calls us to put ourselves aside and to give ourselves to him. And he will... Take advantage and redeem all of the places where he puts us. And that is something to give praise to God for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you aware of this high calling that you have placed upon each one of us as your children. So we offer ourselves, O Lord God, we offer ourselves to you, to serve you, to live for you, to speak for you, to be your, te- to be your witness in this world, to give testimony to you in everything. And so wherever we may be at, whatever jobs we might find ourselves in, uh, with respect to our families, with respect to our friends and neighbors, let us always show you first and foremost. Let us always seek you first and foremost in our lives. Nothing else matters besides you and what you are doing here. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.